You're listening to the Transformative Podcast brought to you by the Research Center for the History of Transformations at the University of Vienna. Hello, I'm glad to welcome our listeners to the Transformative Podcast, which is made and published by the RESET Research Center for the History of Transformation here in Vienna. I'm Anastasia Schacht, and speaking to me today is Victoria Morasch, a German journalist working for such newspapers as Die Tageszeitung and Die Zeit. And thank you very much for joining me today, Victoria. Hi. Hi, thanks for inviting me. Glad to be here. So the last week was largely shaped by news coming from Kazakhstan, a vast country in the Central Asia, definitely quite an important economic player, at least in the region, and equally unknown to the Western ear, I would claim. Throughout a few days, actually half a week, we have seen protests spreading like a wildfire across the country. We have seen governments gradually cracking down on all effective means of communication between the cities within the country, but also beyond the country. So the social media, then internet generally, then mobile and I presume also landline. We have seen violence escalating in the south of the country and the government stepping down on the orders of the president and finally also the involvement of the foreign troops, actually. So it was a hugely dramatic week. Victoria, coming to you, what is Kazakhstan like? How would you explain it to Western foreigners, so to say? Well, you already said that it's really vast country. It's really huge. It's the size of Western Europe, the ninth biggest country in the world. People know very little about it, really. I think it's important to know that it's bilingual. Most of the people there are bilingual. They speak Russian and Kazakh, which is a language that is related to Turkish. It used to be a Soviet Republic, which is also important to know. And it became independent in 1991. And since then, it tried to build a state and an identity that is more and more independent of this Soviet background. I actually like it very much, this formulation that you may try to build a state and identity, because I think this is very crucial for this country. It was indeed a part of the Soviet Union prior to that. It was a part of a Russian empire for quite a long period of time. So we do have a largely young state that is struggling through something. And a lot of suffering in the past, different kinds of suffering, like famines and nuclear tests and gulags that were built in the steppe of Kazakhstan. So it has a really painful history that it is trying to come out of, I think, too. You're absolutely right, yes. And I think horrible as it sounds, but if somebody have ever heard about Kazakhstan in the last few years, probably apart from Borat, it might have been precisely this issue of anti-nuclear movement in the late 80s that mm. was under discussion a couple of times recently. And speaking about the protests that shaped the week, they definitely did not start as a part of a political protest. Following the media, it all started with the economic demands for, what was it? It was the gas price. How was it for you? What was your perception of how these protests actually started? Yeah, I have to say I was really hopeful in the beginning to, to see these protests because Kazakhstan, what's also really important to know, is very rich in oil and gas and other resources. And the wealth coming from these resources is really unequally spread in the population. 
there are a lot of social problems between rural areas and the cities and so on. So I was kind of hopeful and I like to see the peaceful protests of the workers in the western part of Kazakhstan where it started. They came to the streets, I think, because they really didn't have another choice. The prices for gas doubled overnight, more or less. From my experience traveling in the country and from a family background and so on, I think it's not... It takes a lot for people there to go on the streets. Oh, yes, yes, absolutely. To me, it was a shock, actually, that mm. people went on the streets because this is something I could not really expect the people in Kazakhstan to do. This is not how I felt, also from a family background, too. And more of a relief it was precisely to see that it was very peaceful protest. Exactly. Yeah. And actually, also the protests before, like the last ones in 2019, I think, They used to be peaceful. I think there is a culture of peaceful protest. That's why it was so shocking to see how quickly it turned this time. And it was indeed extremely scaring. And I cannot still comprehend how it happens. We currently have, especially in Russian media, but Russian liberal media, there seems to be a current movement towards this uh, peaceful protest was basically hijacked by whoever. And this would be the question starting with the economic protest and largely peaceful throughout the whole country, but the south of the country, and then moving swiftly to the political. But then you also had this quite seminal scenes that I never believe I would ever see in my life with the monument to the long-term, lifelong president who was deposed, but not completely, a couple of years ago to Nazarbayev, and people tearing down his monument. And this is also what you have to know about the Kazakhstan. Uh, you do have monuments to still living presidents, former presidents there. Exactly. And cities named after him. One city, yes. at least. Yeah. <laughs> I think there was a part of a social engagement in Kazakhstan not to call the capital by its renamed name. But this is actually dramatic. So moving from economy to the politics and still seemingly very peaceful. But what happened next? Was it one event, whether two events, three events? How do you see, how did you perceive this news? Because they were extremely ambivalent and very confusing to me here. Yeah, to me too. It's really difficult to say from such a far distance, I think. I'm trying to follow the news. I'm on Twitter all day long. I mean, there's lots of speculation going on. For me, it looks like there are parallel things going on, like there's a crisis in the power elite of the country. And at the same time, there were more or less spontaneous protests that were hijacked by some unknown groups, really, that turned it into violent protests. It seems like there are parallel things going on. The question is, like, who, who profits from a violent protest, right? Then it's also a question because the government stepped down One of the first steps of the president in charge currently was to depose also those few key political figures that remained from the former era of this long-term ever-ruling president, Nazarbayev. So it was also a very hope-provoking moment. Mm, right. Yeah, it seems like Tokayev, the current president, is kind of getting out of the shadow of Nazarbayev, using the moment to become like an independent leader. But I'm really not sure where it's going to lead, his new government. Because it feels very much like using an opportunity of protests. But then there is a huge question of this foreign involvement and for our audiences. Kazakhstan is a part of this treaty of How do you call it? Uh, collective Security Treaty Organization. 
which is largely comprised by Russian troops, and they do have Lukashenko's troops there. A tiny little part of Kyrgyz troops and Armenian troops, but largely mm-hmm. what we have seen now is Russia marching in with a promise to withdraw within one week. Which brings me to a question of, is this the worst scenario that we can see? Is this the 2014 Crimean scenario that we are observing? And where is the legitimacy of the president in such a situation? What is your, what is your view on that? I think that's really one of the worst case scenarios, is them somehow managing to stay in the country. But I'm trying not to be so pessimistic yet because Kazakhstan and Russia used to have friendly relations. I hope they managed to find a way for the troops to leave. But still, I mean, this was a really sad moment for me to notice that the Russian troops are coming in because that was such a big thing for the Kazakhstani identity, I think, after 91, to get independent of Russia or to find some kind of balance. I mean, not completely independent, they never were, but to find a balance, a culture of their own, a language of their own, and so on. I mean, that, that That was kind of the heritage of Nazarbayev also a little bit, I think. And now to see how quickly it can turn is really tragic, I think. Putin, for him, it was a great moment, I think, because he can show that he can stabilize the country, that Kazakhstan is going to stay friendly with Russia, you know, and that I think nothing with him is without a cost. So I don't know what these events are going to cost in the future. And how much the Kazakhstan government will have to pay with its genuine sovereignty of decisions. Such massive involvement of foreign troops will definitely need some um, other further signs of allegiance. So if not in monetary form, then in political capital of loyalty. And I really don't know in how far we should use this moment too and to say precisely the moment of bilingualism and this identity building is very much endangered here because being largely a multicultural state with Russian, it's pretty much lingua franca over there. Violent involvement of foreign troops can really tip the situation in a very unfavorable direction. It started really hopeful, I think, but now I'm less Hopeful. Also, I don't know how um, Tokayev, if he's coming out of the shadows now, how he's going to consolidate his power, if he's going to be more repressive even. Or I think tomorrow he will submit the proposal for the composition of the new government. So, Which means we will have to very closely observe the situation. Just today I've heard he deleted all those tweets. He obviously had internet, the one person in this country, where he proclaimed this blatant thing of shooting down at any protesters on the streets. And seemingly he removed all those posts. Yeah, really scary tweets, I think. Absolutely. I'm not sure how far we can interpret this as a positive sign, but very much to the hopeful notes of seeing how it changes within one week and if the foreign troops leave and what the new government will bring. There is not very much that we can contribute to the viable debate on this issue, but probably the awareness of a huge country struggling to find its identity, some sort of a peaceful transition, be it in economic terms and political terms. I think I read it on Twitter that somebody wrote that every ex-Soviet republic is going to have to go through this and to get rid of the post-Soviet label in some kind of way. So, yeah, I think many people already thought that at some point something like this or more peaceful protests probably are going to happen anyway. So I don't know if this was the moment or 
what is going to happen in the future. So it will definitely be a certain turning point. We just don't know in which direction is the scenario turning. Exactly. On this rather troubling, yet partially hopeful note, I think we would leave our listeners with a great wish of them to engage with the issue of not only Russia as the only post-Soviet state existing out there, quite a fascinating uh, case of Kazakhstan. Let us cross fingers for the people there to find a better, peaceful and sustainable solution to their political system too. Yeah, I agree. Fingers crossed. Thank you so much for joining me for this talk today. And thank you to all of our listeners to have listened to this podcast and join us for further podcasts too. You have been listening to the Transformative Podcast produced by Red Set in Vienna.